baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, joined once again by Nick Green, as we do each and every week to talk Atlanta Braves baseball and the rest of what's happening across the major leagues as well. We'll cover it all, but we like to keep it close to home. And that, of course, is Atlanta Braves baseball for both Nick and myself. Nick, of course, is a former Atlanta Brave and a guy whose playing career ended not too long ago and took him on quite a few stops. And he's had quite a few spring trainings under his belt but I'm sure, Nick, about this time, when you've got that 10 to 14 days leading up to opening day, are players not starting to get a little bit stir-crazy to start playing some games that actually count? <laughs> I think they are. Um, it's, so it, It's good and bad. I mean, th- there's some guys like Josh Donaldson who uh, missed some time early. They took it slow with him to make sure he was healthy. That He probably feels like he's ready, but he probably needs another week. Um, but there are other guys that have, have been playing every day and you have your 25, 30 at-bats, and you're like sitting there going, I've got two more weeks yeah. to get at-bats. I'm ready to go right now. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think they're ready. Uh, but it's also um, you have to stick with the process. That's the biggest thing. Spring training is six weeks for a reason. Yeah, And you want to you take things slow because when you get to spring training, you haven't prepared for spring training. There's no way to prepare for it. Uh, putting the cleats on, standing around all day long, uh, swinging with intensity, trying to do damage in an actual game situation. All that stuff plays a factor. And that's the reason spring training is the length that it is. So towards the end, it, it gets a little bit monotonous. But at the same time, uh, you're there for a reason. It's make sure you're ready to go once opening day comes. Well, we're here for a reason each and every week on From the Diamond, and that, of course, is to talk Atlanta Braves baseball and much more with you each week. And if you like what you're hearing, if this is your first time, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just search for From the Diamond. If you leave us a rating and a review, we'd appreciate those. And on social media, you can follow us there on Twitter in specific, at From the Diamond underscore is where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, and Nick is at Nick Green 20 you can also catch everything at fromthediamond.com, each and every episode of the podcast, all the articles and extra content as well that will be coming your way all season long. Again, fromthediamond.com is where you can find that. Nick, you just touched on it. You know, there's a reason that spring training is the length that it is. And of course, ramping up and getting ready and practicing the, the things that you pretty much know so well. Maybe it's muscle memory in some parts or some part of the mind or some part of the body. But there is a reason for that process and getting yourself ready. And injuries, unfortunately, are a part of spring training for each and every club. And, of course, throughout the season, injuries can change plans in a hurry. The Atlanta Braves came into spring training feeling like pitching, even though they didn't make major acquisitions in the winter, that that pitching was going to be something they'd be able to rely on, whether that was in the starting rotation because of all the depth and all those top minor league prospects, or in the bullpen where they felt like maybe they'd already made an addition with a Darren O'Day. And if they can get a healthier Rodis Vizcaino back, then things would really be kind of clicking where they want it to. 
Now we fast forward to about two weeks before opening day as we're sitting here on a Friday recording this podcast, 13 days before opening day. The guy we thought who was going to be on the mound on opening day for the Atlanta Braves against the Philadelphia Phillies was going to be Mike fulton But it sounds like now, officially, according to Alex Anthopoulos, who met with the media this week down in Disney, fulton not going to be ready for opening day. That's not great news to start the season. He's supposed to begin throwing again soon, but it's probably going to take, I would say, four starts or spring outings to get him kind of back up to speed. Where do you fall on this, Nick? I mean, obviously it's disappointing, but you don't want to push him too much because you want Mike fulton for the course of the 162. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I wish he was there opening day. He deserves that opening day start. Um, I think that would be something that uh, he would take pride in and wants to be the opening day starter. But you need him for the long haul, and you need him throughout the entire season. So no sense in pushing him. Uh, they they say that he should be ready probably the second week of the season, which is not a big deal. Um, as long as he's ready to go and he's able to stay healthy throughout the season, I'm not too worried about it. The best part about this is the fact that there are so many other guys that can step in yeah. that rotation spot for a week or two. Not a big problem at all. Um, and I, I think that Fulte probably understands that. The staff understands they aren't going to push him where all of a sudden we want to get him out there the, the first home series against the Cubs. No, we're going to push him back a little bit more because we know we have some guys that can fill that uh, rotation spot for the time being. And um, he's just too important for this team in the long haul to, to push it at all. It's it's disappointing for sure, and you hope there are no lingering effects. The, the only concern that I have is the fact that he said he dealt with the elbow soreness last year, and it's not good if you continue to deal with it. Um, if it, you deal with it and then it goes away, you get it fixed, that's fine. But he dealt with it last year, has off-season – uh, training and stuff that he gets ready for the season, then it starts to flare back up once he starts to throw again in games. Then you are concerned a little bit. How's it going to feel once he actually gets back in a game situation? That's what we don't know. And and from that standpoint, I'm a little concerned, but from what the, the front office is saying and everybody's saying, that he should be ready to go uh, probably that second week of the season. Yeah, and that is obviously encouraging. I mean, if this is something that pushes its way into, you know, that second week of the season or even into middle to late April, which I guess is kind of the second week of the season, but if it goes later into April, I guess I'm saying, you do feel like you have that depth there. And we're going to talk a lot about some of those young guys that have come into the spring and have made the most of their opportunity, but it's not just Mike fulton who's a little bit dinged up. The fact is the Braves' bullpen, which again was, I'd, I'd say, much maligned in 2018, despite the fact that the numbers probably weren't as bad as the optics sometimes made you feel in specific so many walks last year, if they're able to bring those under control, the Braves have a pretty capable bullpen that will probably need some reinforcing at some point during the season, which is certainly something that's open for Alex Anthopoulos to explore as they continue to go. But two key members of that bullpen dealing with some injuries, A.J. Minter got in a little fender bender uh, about a week and a half ago, has not thrown since then, had to come out of that appearance. And then, of course, Darren O'Day, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, acquired in a trade with the Orioles last year. The Braves took on O'Day and his contract, uh, which is about $9 million, and were expecting him to come back from his hamstring surgery last year and be a viable member of this bullpen. That could certainly happen, but now he's dealing with a forearm issue. A.J. Minter, the left shoulder's barking at him. These are two guys that you want to see be ready for opening day. And from the indications that you got from Alex Anthopoulos this week, 
it sounds like they will be, but it has to be a little bit concerning that we're not talking about the seventh or eighth guy in the bullpen. We're talking about probably two of the top three or four arms for the Braves there. It has to make you a little concerned if they're not back in game action sooner than later. You want them back as soon as possible. Um, it's not going to take them long to get healthy and, and be ready to throw one inning. And that's the good part about a bullpen arm. Yeah, uh, It's probably going to take them two or three appearances, which what is that, a week, week yeah, and a half maybe? Basically. And they're ready to go. They're ready for game situation. So the the tough part about it is if this stuff lingers, um, then you have two of the, the arms that are important in that bullpen that are really important uh, that are out. The good news is that it gives a guy like Shane Carl another chance. Um, he's kind of on the bubble right now, hasn't been throwing the ball that great. Same thing with Chad Stabatka. Uh, they have some arms that could fill in, and those guys, they have the stuff and they're capable of really succeeding. We saw it with Carl last year and Sabatka late. Uh, Carl early, he was dominant for the first half of the season. Sabatka came on strong when he finally got called up late in the season. Those guys have great potential. So you, it's not like you don't have arms that can fill in. And we talk about this all the time, depth, depth, depth. Yep. You need the depth because you just don't know what's going to happen. You expect all these guys to come in healthy and play throughout the season healthy. That's what you want. But in reality, it's not going to happen. So they've got some depth that they can fill in those spots. Now, uh, that, this puts I think that puts a big burden uh, with Minter. If Minter is out for an extended period of time, puts a big burden on Vizcaino. We don't know if he's capable of throwing back-to-back days on a consistent basis, uh, three days at a time. Yeah. If you're the closer, you want to be able to throw three days at a time. And I don't know if they're willing to do that with him because he another he's another guy that you want to stay healthy throughout the season. So they said they're basically going to piggyback that closer role with Minter and Vizcaino. That's the best-case scenario right now because – you want to protect both of those guys, but if one of the goes guys out, say Mentor is out, now you've got Viz, and there's a lot of pressure on him. And he wants to take the ball, but can his arm take the ball that often? I don't know. So there are some question marks, but they do have some arms that can fill those spots if, in fact, uh, they couldn't go with O'Day and Mentor to start the season. Yeah, and obviously as we march closer and count down to opening day, which again is less than two weeks away now, We'll have a lot more clarity, you know, next week or really the week after as the Braves begin to pare down that roster to 25 players. They have pared down their spring training roster to, I believe, 40 as of the last round of cuts. 33 of those guys on the 40-man roster, so only seven non-roster invitees are remaining. One of the guys that you might see at some point, and just throwing out some options there, this is not going to be, I don't think, an opening day thing, but... Lefty Grant Dayton, who was very good for the Dodgers a couple of years ago, but on the road back from Tommy John surgery, he got in a couple of outings in spring training. I'm sure that that makes him feel good, but he's going to have to build his way back up. So when exactly he'd be ready to contribute, that's, of course, a question mark. But again, don't want to put too much into it, but it's just worth monitoring that you've got A.J. Minter, who is or was your most valuable reliever for the Braves last year. And, of course, Darren O'Day, we talked a lot about a couple of episodes ago what he did for the Orioles that made him so valuable for so long. So two guys that you want to see in there, and we'll find out a little bit more over the next 10 to 14 days about what these guys are in terms of their readiness for opening day. But it's it's really unfortunate, I think, for the Braves when you think about you had a long winter, and maybe a lot of people expected there to be moves in the bullpen. Maybe a new starting pitcher comes in. Those things haven't happened yet. There is, of course, time before opening day for those to happen, and obviously all season long deals and, and moves can be made. 
However, when you got those two guys plus Mike Fultonevich, those are just the kind of question marks that make you wonder a little bit. But it's not all bad. In fact, Buster Olney of ESPN wrote on Friday that the Braves' depth in pitching may actually be a difference maker for Atlanta in the ultra-competitive National League East. Now, of course, that depth that he is talking about are all those young players, those young guns. And some of those guys that we've seen this spring have made a pretty good impression, especially lately. It seems to be, okay, I see what you did. Now I'm going to go out there and, and do my thing. And can you top that seems to be the order of the day for these guys. Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Wright, Max Fried, even Bryce Wilson of late, really throwing the ball pretty well. In particular, Toussaint and Wright, I think, have stood head and shoulders above the uh, the Braves' youngest pitchers or, or most uh, highly touted prospects, if you will, lately over the past week or 10 days. Toussaint has had back-to-back stellar outings, and Kyle Wright finally gave up a couple of runs in his last start, but he's looked great too. These are guys, if Mike fulton is down, you have to feel pretty good that you're able to call on a couple of pitchers that have some big league experience a little bit, so they got their feet wet, but also they've got the talent and the ability to perhaps be some difference makers throughout the entire season, and they may get their call you know, as soon as the bell rings come, uh, come opening day or come that first week anyway. It's going to be interesting. I go back to you have Tehran and Newcomb. Those are really your only two guys right now with fulton Evans down. And Gosman has dealt with that shoulder soreness in his first two outings have not been good at all. So Tehran, Newcomb, and then where do you go from there? I think right. Gosman probably needs three more starts is what I would give him. But if you do that, he gets two more before spring training is over. Then he would basically throw a sim game on opening day. And with a couple off days in the first six days of the season – then he would be ready to start game number five. So it would still push that rotation for five guys, and he would be in that number five spot to start the season out, Mm -hmm. which I think is completely fine. But I think he needs to get three uh, outings under his belt because he threw an inning and a third the first start. He threw two-thirds last start, so he's not really stretched out, I wouldn't think. You want to see where he goes from that second start until opening day-ish, two, three starts from now, see how he feels and how he's doing. So that's a question mark as well, but – when you fill the other spot in, Tukey, I think, has a, a spot locked up, and then you would have to fill uh, the, the other spot with the right or freed. Which guy, if the season was starting tomorrow, and of course that doesn't mean they're going to start opening day, but <laughs> if you had to put out your starting five, this is something I tweeted out, I felt like it would be with fulton absent. Of course, you've got Gosman, you've got Tehran, you've got Newcomb. I think Toussaint has a spot just like you do. I think Kyle Wright's the guy that's in that fifth spot, and I'm not trying to – you know, steer away from what Max Fried showed at the big league level last year. But if you had to put together your starting five, what would it look like? No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And and that's exactly where I would go. I would put Freed in the bullpen. I would put right uh, to start the season in that rotation. And yeah. I don't know how many starts Wright's going to get. I think you're going to definitely look at his limited experience and the limited number of innings he's thrown. And you're going to have to try to limit him somewhere along the line because I just feel like he's too big of a piece to the puzzle as far as the rotation is concerned. I, I like Freed, and I think Freed's done a nice job, and I don't think they'd be afraid to put Freed in the rotation. I don't. It just depends on what they want to do with Kyle Wright. So if Kyle Wright's in the rotation, which I would do, mm-hmm. so I'd have Tehran. I, I know a lot of people probably wouldn't want Tehran starting opening day, but I would. I'm fine with that. Just walk Bryce Harper and you're good, right? Yeah, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> and you don't even so have to throw I, I, the pitches anymore. So it really makes the most sense in the world. That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, I've got Teron, Newcomb, and then Tukey. And then I would have Wright game four and then Gosman game five. So mm-hmm. don't sleep on Bryce Wilson either. I know you mentioned him. Yeah. He's been 
really good this spring. And I, I think that he's going to get a lot of starts too. If they really go with that six man rotation ish thing that they want to do, where they give a lot of guys days off and rest, Bryce Wilson's getting a lot of starts. Max Fried will probably get some starts. Kyle Wright will get some starts. I think that that Tukey to me is the guy that stays in that rotation consistently until he proves that he's not capable of holding down that spot, which I think he's going to be capable of holding it down the entire season. So I think he's kind of a lock yeah. in that rotation. So, but when I go to Freed, I love, I think Freed could be dominant in a reliever role. I really do. I think he can get lefties out. He's got such good stuff. He's up to 97 miles an hour with a hammer curve, good change up, and he can go multiple innings. I, I, I just think that he could be dominant out of the pen. So, that's kind of where I would put him and, and use these other guys to fill in the rotation. And, you know, and I don't want to put a label on him that, it, that puts the expectation of the numbers of this guy, but, I mean, think about Andrew Miller for a while. And I'm not saying that Max Fried needs to struggle for three or four or five years before they figure out that he can be a reliever, but I guess going off of that mold where you see that the ability is there, the strikeout pitches are there, as you mentioned, the talent, the arm talent is certainly there. And, I mean, look at Max Fried last year. What was it, 44 strikeouts and in just under 30 innings? So, I mean, this is a guy that can rack up strikeouts, but – a handful of walks every once in a while gives up the hit, like the occasional home run. I think that happens to every pitcher as far as home runs are concerned here or there. But he does feel like a guy that has to have a place on the big league roster. I mean, I, I just don't feel like Max Fried needs to go back to AAA and start every fifth day to try to prove something. I don't think he really has anything to prove down there, which is what makes it so interesting about what role they choose to put him in. Is he a guy that is going to throw you, say, two to three innings on days – you know, maybe every th- third or fourth day and you're able to keep him semi-stretched out in case you want to put him in the rotation. That, of course, I think is an option. But I'm with you. I think Tuki Toussaint, at this point, that's a guy that you want to see starting every fifth day if you're writing things up in a perfect world scenario. Kyle Wright, I think, is one of these guys, much like Bryce Wilson, though the age difference and the talent and the styles are a little bit different between those two guys. And maybe you can throw, if they decide to, Freed or... Um, you know, Patrick Weigel or some of these other guys that might be sitting around at AAA. Guys that you're going to see, Mike Soroka when he gets healthy, that's another thing that they're going to have to figure out. Of course, getting healthy is something that Soroka's got to figure out. There are a lot of names that are going to be in the Gwinnett rotation, and they're also going to bounce up, I think, into the Braves rotation. And that's going to be, I, I think, the, the mixing and matching of that is going to be something that could make or break the Braves season in some ways. Not that I expect them to all come up and, you know, necessarily dominate, or all come up and necessarily struggle, but each one of them could have an important role. And that, I think, kind of underscores what Buster Olney was talking about. The Braves have such depth, that's got to be a strength. And in fact, it could be kind of a saving grace of this club if these guys are able to perform up to expectations. But to make a big circle and come back to Max Fried, Andrew Miller was a multiple-inning reliever, you know, multiple outs. He wasn't just a guy coming in to throw to a couple of lefties. He was a guy who was leaned on, even though he wasn't closing, if Max Freed could develop into that kind of reliever, these prospects, they're not all going to be able to start for you. You've only got so many spots. But if they're able to come up and really mature and evolve and make themselves contributors at any level on any spot of the, the entire pitching staff, you got to feel pretty good about that. And the Braves have the talent to do that if they diversify these roles and maybe you know trust in and challenge some of these kids to really step up and make some kind of impact. So a lot of stuff there. What do you think of all that? When I when I'm looking at Max Fried and I'm saying I'm I'm suggesting he goes to the bullpen. This day and age, you don't have to say this guy has great stuff. He's going to be a starter. We want him to be a starter. Right. And with the Braves' depth, you don't have to do that at all. You can just say, hey, you know what? This is where we think that you're going to be 
best suited to have success at the big league level and help our team out. And to me, just go ahead and move him and stick him in the bullpen. Uh, I think he's more than capable of it. And I think that these kids, yeah, they want to start, but at the same time, they want to be in the big leagues. And you want to help a team win, and the Braves are a winning ball club. So that's going to help the team. That's going to get him in the big leagues. Uh, he would play a huge role in the bullpen, too. Like I said, he could go multiple innings. Um, you mentioned Andrew, Andrew Miller. Mm-hmm. He could do that role where it's in the seventh inning. He might go inning in the third, inning in two-thirds. He can get lefties out. He can get righties out. Um, he's just capable of so many things down in that bullpen. And I just, I just feel like it's okay to say this guy has the stuff. He could be a starter, but you know what? We think he's going to be best suited for the pen and help us out of the bullpen, go ahead and move him. And I kind of feel like that's where they uh, could be with Max Freed. I don't know um, what they're going to end up doing, but I, I, I just love the, the idea of him being in that bullpen and dominating out of the pen. I like that one a lot, too. And I look at, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and Max Freed's 25 years old. Not that age is your determining factor, but if you think about the injury history and some of the things he had to overcome, maybe his track you know, was slowed down just a bit, and, and he was in Rome pitching with guys like Soroka and Colby Allard and Tuki Toussaint and Patrick Weigel not too long ago. Each of those guys has kind of taken a different path and has obviously a different set of skills, but I just think Max Fried's too valuable not to be using him in some way, shape, or form to make your staff better. And if he's a guy that can come in with the fastball you talked about in the mid-90s and a great breaking ball and just really rely on those two things and maybe mix in the changeup and maybe have that extra weapon up his sleeve to go out and get you some big strikeouts, get you out of a jam in the seventh inning, that's a guy you want, and that's a guy that you need. And as you look at the Braves' bullpen, you'll take all the options you can get down there, and I just think Max Reed would be a great one, which doesn't mean that it's a demotion because, oh, we don't think you can start. Kind of like you were saying, he's got great stuff, he's got to be a starter. Well, in some respects, sure, but at some point, it's a numbers game too on many sides of the ball, including what you can do with the 25 spots for now that you have on your big league club. So I think Max Fried is going to make a contribution somewhere. I'm just interested to see exactly where it is they slot him in and what kind of opportunities he gets throughout the year. A couple of numbers that you might be interested in. Tuki Toussaint, his last couple of starts after a couple of rocky ones, especially a really rough one against Detroit a couple of weeks back. Last seven innings, no runs, two hits, one walk, eight punch outs. He's looked great doing it. Kyle Wright has allowed just two runs this spring. He has cut his walk rates. And which is great. I mean, it's spring. You should be throwing strikes. But when he came up last year, handful of walks in the four relief appearances he made. But he's looked tremendous, I thought, uh, thus far in the spring. 100 miles an hour in his last start, too. I didn't even know he could do that. So that was something I didn't expect. His, his stuff is nasty, too. And I, I saw him throw against, I think it was the Yankees. And he was panning down and away the fastball, mid to upper 90s, with a really good breaking ball in mm-hmm. I don't know. I like this stuff last year, but he looks so much more mature this year. And also something to, to look at too is he started to throw the cutter more and it's something that he wants to work on. He talked, uh, I think he was in that Vanderbilt yeah. this off season and that pitching coach um, was talking to him about Walker Bueller, how Walker Bueller was throwing his cutter out in LA and his cutter is filthy by the way. Yes. And Kyle Wright learned some of that stuff that Walker Bueller's doing. And he adds a cutter to that repertoire. Wow, look out. Yeah, he could be tremendous with the current arsenal that he had, let alone adding another pitch like that. Another guy who's been tremendous, I think, has been Bryce Wilson. We haven't talked about him a ton. He did get that brief look last year. Got to make his big league debut, I think, somewhat unexpectedly for most Braves fans. He's come back in this spring with a sub-two ERA, and he's looked good doing it. So 
those are all names to keep in mind, along with the Sorokas and the Goharas and the Allards and the Weigels and some of these other guys that, you know, the Braves' depth, I think, speaks for itself. And that's something that we'll talk a lot about, I'm sure, uh, throughout the rest of spring training, but specifically throughout the rest of the season and beyond. So it'll be worth monitoring what all these guys are uh, given as far as opportunities are concerned and which guys step up and which guys are able to take those opportunities and run with them because if they do, the Braves are going to be in a pretty good place. Another thing that I think has been interesting and a storyline that we've been kind of debating all winter long and now that we've gotten into spring training, we've seen some lineups and some of them look a little bit different than others. And in specific, it looks like Ronald Acuna Jr. at cleanup could be a real possibility. I get it. I know we've talked about it a lot. I still don't love it. And I guess my question, Nick, for you is, do you love it? <laughs> I don't love it, but I think it is what it is. I mean, you have to lengthen your lineup somehow. Yeah. And if you're if you're content, and I've said this a million times, if you're content on putting uh, Donaldson in the two spot, you've got to lengthen your lineup somewhere. And how do you do that? You link them with Acuna. Uh, you, you move him down. And he said the other day, by the way, um, he, what is he, currently eight for his last eight Yes, something like that, but on base his last nine times. Uh, he said that it doesn't matter where he hits. He's his his focus is see ball hit ball. If he can stick to that plan, he will have success in the cleanup spot. I know I, I talked about Donaldson a few episodes ago about when he feels like he is is in that RBI situation. He overthinks things and tries to do a little bit too much and is not himself, and that's why he's more comfortable in the two spot. But Acuna is, he is, I mean, he's young, but yeah. he has, it's like he, it's like he's been around for 15 years and he's able to make that adjustment. It's crazy. So do I love it? No, I don't love it, but I think he'll have success there. And I don't think honestly that that lineup will be the same righties versus lefties. When you put Brian McCann in the lineup, it's going to change things too, because you really want that righty lefty mix down through the lineup. So things are going to change with that as well. So I don't think the lineup's going to be set the same every single day. So I don't think anybody should get into a big old fuss about the whole lineup situation, Acuna batting cleanup versus batting leadoff. He's going to bat leadoff some. Uh, I don't know how much. It all depends on how everything goes as far as the lineup and the guys they're facing and all that stuff. But uh, I just want him in the lineup, and I would love to have him in the leadoff spot. But the way the lineup's constructed, it's just hard to lengthen the lineup uh, with Acuna in the, in the top spot. Yeah, it really is. The unfortunate thing is, as we talked about throughout the winter, and I think the thing that most people look at when you start to formulate your pros and cons of where you put Ronald Acuna is, he was so good in the leadoff spot, and it guarantees him so many more plate appearances on the whole you know, for the entire year, and why would you not want that? But on the flip side of that, as you pointed out, somebody needs to be batting in the middle of the order along with Freddie Freeman. I mean the middle of the order, not just the top three. And Ronald Acuna would appear to be perhaps the most qualified to do that, especially if you're talking about those other dynamics that you specifically mentioned, which was you do want that righty-lefty mix. And that is going to change when Tyler Flowers is in there and Brian McCann is in there. That lineup we've seen as of Friday morning, Ender Inciarte was dropped down to the seventh spot in the order. Ozzy Albies is a switch hitter, so he'll be batting right-handed as the Miami Marlins utilize a left-handed starting pitcher. That, I think, could be something we see throughout the year. Now, it may not always be Ozzy Albies at the top of the lineup. Maybe it's Ron Lacuna at the top of the lineup on some nights as well. But I would think that it would be in the Braves' best interest to maximize where they can the platoon splits and the numbers that tell you righty, 
could look this way, but lefty could look very different. And there's nothing wrong with having multiple or different options when it comes to making those changes and trying to maximize your overall lineup production. So I'm imagining that that's something that Brian Snitker probably already has, at least in the back of his mind, as far as having the option to make some changes. And we haven't even gotten into talking about, well, this guy's struggling. We've got to make a change here. We need to kickstart the lineup because the last two weeks has been rough. All of the things that happen over the course of a season that we know pretty well because we've seen this year in and year out. And we saw this in 2018 when the lineup simply needed to be changed. Looking at the lineup and how I think it's going to change and you think it's going to change, these guys have to buy in. They've got to buy in. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think your your two spots are going to be locked in are Donaldson and Freeman. Ozzy, I think, got humbled a little bit last year, especially second half. I think that his mindset is, you know, I just want to be in the lineup every day. I don't care about where I hit. Yeah, I, I don't mind him hitting in the leadoff spot at all from the right side. Uh, he does so much damage from the right side of the plate. From pitch one of the game, if he's hitting right-handed, you better make quality pitches because he's, he's capable of taking you deep first pitch of the game. Uh, Markakis is a guy that's been around so long. He's just happy to be back. He can bounce around the lineup wherever you want him to go. Uh, Ender, last year, talked about Ozzy being humbled a little bit. I think Ender was humbled a little bit too. And if Ender's coming off a 200-hit season, I don't think he's as capable of bouncing around the lineup as I think he is now. So I, I think this is the this is going to work. I think it's going to be fine. You're going to see a consistent lineup, I think, um, against certain righties or lefties or whatever. But these guys have to buy in to make this thing work because it's not going to be the same. Uh, like I said, Donaldson and Freeman are the, your two locks in this lineup. Everybody else is probably going to bounce around. Uh, I, I think that Snit is so good at handling these guys and handling egos and talking to them, being straightforward with them, that I think it's going to work. And I'm just excited to see all these guys work together and progress. And, and this lineup is pretty powerful, one through eight, if everybody's healthy and doing their thing. Yeah, it certainly can be. And one of the things that I look at, too, to your point about guys who got to buy in, one thing that makes people feel a lot better about their role on a team is when you're winning. And I think that for That's the 2018 right. Braves, that was so different than anything they had experienced in three consecutive 90-loss seasons that preceded it. Maybe there was a little bit more of, you know, this is this is the spot I want to be in. And, you know, you maybe you look at that a little bit more internally. I'm not saying a whole bunch of guys were voicing or, or complaining about where they were in the lineup. Because no, we didn't I, hear anybody. No, because honestly, that wouldn't have made any difference either. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess I just look at it and say, if you're winning and guys feel like they're contributing and they feel like they have that role and they feel like they're involved in that, they're engaged, and like you said, they bought in, that makes a huge difference. And that's the the interpersonal part of what the manager's doing. I mean, that's the managing the human being and not just the player part. And that kind of stuff, you know, that motivation or lack of motivation sometimes, even if it's just kind of in your subconscious, those kind of things manifest over the course of a season. But I don't think the Braves are having to worry about that because I think they've seen what they're capable of and that can make a difference for some of these guys. Doesn't make everybody a 300 hitter. Doesn't make everybody a 30 homer guy. Doesn't make everybody you know have a career year. But I think that the what is it the uh, the whole will add up to a lot more than just the sum of its parts or something like that. If I didn't say that correctly, I'm sure somebody <laughs> will tweet me. But basically, you know the, the the entirety of that lineup when you put it together may just end up clicking better than if you were to just break down each and every guy just by the numbers to say. Well, where should this guy hit? No, he should be hitting here rather than here. But, of course, that's some of the fun of being an armchair manager or, or also managing in hindsight, which a lot of that goes on. 
Uh, a guy that might see some time in the major leagues this year, and I say might, and I really think that 2020 is probably more of the timetable we're looking for here. But we're getting a nice preview if you're into those kind of things. I know the Avengers just dropped a new trailer for their upcoming movie. Um, I'm excited about that. I don't know that this is necessarily a trailer for Christian Pache, but he's certainly putting on a show in spring training. It's a big spring for the 20-year-old, and it's gonna, he's going to open the season in AA. That's already come out, and that's where he finished 2018. If this guy finally puts together the offensive side with the already elite-level outfield defense that he can play, then we could see him conceivably before the season's over, or at the very least, this time next year, we're going to be having a very interesting conversation about Mr. Pache, who is batting 458 this spring in his 14 games. He's got four doubles and two homers, and the question had always been, when's this guy going to hit for power? Well, the answer is now. He's legit, and I can't wait to see him in person. I haven't seen him in person I've just seen highlights and videos, but he can do everything. And and when you're having guys like Andrew Jones praising him and talking about how great he is defensively, that's a big statement. So defense is out of the way. We know that's going to be there. He can play any outfield position. Uh, The offense is coming around. He's not a small guy either. And when you you look at him filling out, he's still young. He's going to, to get bigger and stronger. That's just how it works. Uh, but he's 6'2". He's listed at 185, and he adds 10 more pounds. All that stuff's coming together because his swing, he has a good swing. He's got a good approach. Um, I, I, he's one of those young kids that is just happy being on the field and having fun being on the field, a lot like Ozzy Albies, a lot like mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna. These guys are so much fun to watch. And if they put him in the big leagues right now, would he hit 300? Probably not. But would he battle and compete and have – some success. Yeah, he would. So uh, I, I don't know when he's going to be at the big league level, but I, I wouldn't put it past him to, uh, to give him some sort of look this year. And I'm just excited to watch his progress because if he's as good as everybody says he is, and we think he is, that outfield is going to be amazing for a long time in Atlanta. And that's a huge plus. And I know we've talked about on this show, you know, whether it's Pache or whether it's Drew Waters, like which one do you like a little bit better? But the answer is, or the reality is, the Braves have both of them. They just have to figure out how they want to employ both of these guys and when they feel like these guys are ready to step into the major leagues and contribute. I do think it's important, and this is something I pointed out on Twitter last week, that this is a great spring for Christian Pache. And I think a lot of people have been looking forward to seeing him really take that step forward with the bat. And whether or not this is happening in the second half of games against non-major league pitchers or guys with limited experience or guys that Pache might actually see in double-A this year or triple-A for that matter, I think that the confidence building that goes on here and the fact that you can look at the results and say, this is a guy who's come a long way is what gets you really excited about him. However, I think folks need to temper their expectations when it comes to you know the breakout season and the sky-high expectations that are on these young kids at 20, 21 years old now that's kind of changed over the last decade or more. Uh, because, I mean, look at Ron Lacuna. He was a guy that came into 2017. People knew that he was a legit talent. They just didn't know what that talent was going to turn into. And, of course, it turned into an absolute monster season and got him to the big leagues last year where he won the Rookie of the Year award. However, it's worth saying, in no uncertain terms, Christian Pache is not Ron Lacuna and may never put up those offensive numbers. That's just not necessarily his profile. Doesn't mean that he can't turn himself into an accomplished and successful big league hitter And I think that's really where the focus needs to be. If you're looking at Christian Pache and getting excited about him, you have to look at the fact that his game is a little bit different and unique to him 
as opposed to saying, well, if he can be the next Ronald Acuna, guys, there may not be another Ronald Acuna because that's how special that guy is. I'm just trying to kind of separate off some of the expectations for some of these guys because I think it it kind of gets lost in translation sometimes when you hear the phrase top prospect next to a guy's name. Oftentimes it means next big thing, and sometimes that doesn't actually come to pass. So I don't know. I, I just kind of look at it there to think fairly or unfairly. Sometimes we put a lot on these guys and don't actually let them come out, develop, and be themselves. I don't know where you fall with that, but I just kind of felt like it was worth throwing out there because if you just look at the numbers, just strictly the numbers, offensively speaking, you can pretty much tell in no uncertain terms, again, that Ron Lacuna and Christian Pache are two totally different cases when it comes to what they do at the plate. Oh, absolutely. Ronald Acuna, the, the talent level he has and what he is, that doesn't come along too often. So no. you're right. You have to temper expectations of all these kids. Uh, we don't know exactly how any of these kids are going to perform out of the gate in the big leagues. A lot of times they struggle. And a lot of times you come out hot for the first two weeks and then you have to make an adjustment. So uh, we don't know exactly – how Pache is going to perform once he gets to the big league level. We have an idea, and we think we know, but we don't know for sure. Ronald Acuna struggled early on uh, last year. He did. And if you remember, if you remember, he he was at a point where Snip was – and Snip said this on record to Mark Bowman. He said, he's got to make a change or I'm sending him down. And all we remember is how great Acuna was uh, once he came back from that injury. He was outstanding. So – did he struggle early? He struggled for a guy of his caliber. Um, I would have taken it. It would have been a, a, a nice season for me as a utility guy. But the expectations right. are so high, you expected him to go out and, and just crush right out of the gate. And he had success here and there, but he wasn't where they wanted him to be. He wasn't having the at-bats they wanted him to have on a consistent basis. And that's part of the game. And then once he, he started to make the adjustments, he worked with Kevin Seitzer, made adjustments with his swing, and he got comfortable, he took off. But can you expect any of these other guys to perform like Acuna? Probably not. But that doesn't mean that they can't be really good players. Right. I, I just wanted to make that important, I think, just discrepancy. Just put it out there that there is a big difference between the two. But I think you just you, you covered all the, the proverbial bases there when it comes to it. And, you know, Pache is a guy that is going to continue to get better. I think that's something he certainly has done each and every year, offensively speaking, going from a guy that had – little to no power to speak of and now he's starting to really impress people with his overall physique with the difference in his approach with obviously the difference in the results you got brian snitker on record is saying that this guy's doing everything you want him to do double a is not that far away from the big leagues we've seen the braves bring guys up from double a plenty and we know some of those names and some of those guys are still hanging around the big league club right now in particular could dansby swanson or if you go back a little further or brian mccann a jeff francoeur guys like that andrelton simmons i mean if you are in the mix and you are doing what you should be doing and the need arises, you know, and he's able to put up those numbers and continue to show that he is getting better and better, the Braves are going to have to make some decisions there, and that's where you want to be. You want to have all the talent that you can and have the difficult decisions to make, and I think that's what the Braves have been working towards when it comes to the player development side. Uh, one other quick thing about the Braves and their outfield in particular, Christian Pache may not be there on opening day, but – a couple of guys who could be on the Braves roster sooner than later. One, of course, will be. That's Johan Camargo. Another one that we could be seeing this year is Austin Riley. The interesting thing about these two guys is not only are they both third basemen by trade some days, but now they're seeing some time in the outfield. What do you make of that? And do you think that's a sign of something we could be seeing sometime this summer at SunTrust Park or around the big leagues? 
I don't know. Um, I think there are just other options to than putting those two in the outfield. I outfield seems like it's easy, but it's really not, especially when you haven't been out there much. Um, and I don't know how they're adjusting to it. Walt Weiss said they did fine the other day uh, when they were both in the outfield, but at the same time, are they capable of doing that on a consistent basis? You yeah. have to get the reps in, otherwise, uh, you don't you don't really know what you have. Yeah. Um, if you if you throw them out there for two games or three games or whatever and they don't get a fly ball. You know, you, everything's fine, and, and then all of a sudden, a big situation, one of those guys is playing left field, a lefty hits a slicer uh, down the left field line that should be caught by a normal outfielder, and they misjudge it, all of a sudden, uh, the there's, a, there's a runner on base, and you yeah. score a run. And it's a big situation. Do you put them back out there? And that's why I, I feel like that this experiment, it could work better for Riley because he could go to AAA and play a lot of games in the outfield in AAA, yeah. but not really for Camargo. Um, when I, I was looking at the roster earlier and on the Braves website, it has Adam Duvall listed as outfielder. Obviously, he's he's a really good left fielder, but it also has Charlie Culberson mm-hmm. listed as an outfielder. So with Camargo, I feel like Camargo, he's going to bounce around the infield a lot more. He's going to play infield the majority of the time you know Culberson can fill in the outfield, and he's got more experience than Camargo in the outfield. So there's no sense in moving Camargo into a position that he's not as uh, familiar with and then putting Charlie in the infield. Um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, so I think that Charlie's probably going to play more outfield. And as far as Riley's concerned, I think you're going to see him in the outfield in AAA to see how he adjusts. But I, I really don't see this being something that they look at and say, we could do this at a big league level on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think this is more of a mix and match thing. If you needed to make that change, I mean, I don't want to say that this is going to go as poorly as Evan Gaddis in the outfield. I mean, that was just, he didn't put the player in a position to succeed. I mean, and, and we can chuckle about it now, but I mean, that's just not an optimal thing to play a guy it's out of position easy. who hasn't gotten the reps. Not because, easy. Exactly. And you're not putting him in a position to succeed, as I, as I mentioned. And that, I think, is the biggest thing. If Riley goes down and plays outfield, you know, three or four times a week, in addition to getting some reps at third base, I think that could make sense. And I think that Riley's a good enough athlete to do it. Not that Camargo's not, but I just see Camargo as so much more, to your point, of an asset all around the infield that there's just really not a reason to play him that much in the outfield, especially if you do have the options that they have with, obviously, Enciarte, Acuna, and Marquecas, but also Duvall and then Culbertson. Why would you really need Camargo in the outfield playing out of position more than you have to. I'm not saying there won't be a time for it or there won't be a, a a switch that you could make in the game where he could do that and where you'd feel comfortable with that, you know, to optimize your chances of winning on that particular night. I just don't look at Camargo and see, well, that guy needs to be playing regularly in the outfield, especially if you're employing at least four guys who are outfielders by trade, another one who's already shown he can do it, and Camargo has so much value elsewhere. I guess maybe I'm, I'm, I'm overanalyzing it in some ways because it, if it happens, it happens. But then again, I just kind of look at putting players in a position to succeed, and I just don't know if, you know, putting Camargo in the outfield, just trying to get him some at-bats, is the best way to utilize him, regardless of what you're doing with some of the other guys on the roster. I guess there's just a lot of different variables that are at play here. You, you could throw him in the outfield in a, in a blowout game, and if he hasn't had that bat in a couple of days, get him out there, throw him in left field, and, and, and pull one of those guys out. But you're not going to see – I don't think you're going to see it on a consistent basis. I, right. I, I played – outfield sparingly in my career. How much fun um, is that? How much fun is it? Yeah. It's stressful. 
<laughs> well, I played in, in Fenway and uh, the left field wall is short, obviously, in Fenway. We're playing the Yankees and Robinson Cano's up. Let me backtrack one. Posada was up before Cano. Posada hits a fly ball. A little Taylor, um, and I, I catch it. I back back up a couple steps, catch it. I feel, I'm feeling good about myself. Next hitter, Cano hits one. Looks like the same ball to me, but he hit it harder with more backspin. And all of a sudden, I took my step back. I thought I was positioned right, and the ball gets to me quicker, and I have to jump, and it hits off the end of my glove and hits the wall. So I was like, I was panicked. I didn't like it. Um, and then I had another experience in Tampa. It's hard to see to begin with in Tampa with the roof. Sure. And they started me in right field. So it, and the reason they started was because I, didn't, I wasn't getting a lot of playing time at the time. So they wanted me to get some at-bats. They wanted me to get in the game. They put me out there, and it was a Sunday, which was probably the worst time to put me out there because we didn't have batting practice. So they ambushed me, put me in right field. I worked with George Hendrick five minutes before the game. He's hitting me some fly balls and whatever. That's a lot different than the game. So I get one play in the outfield, and I spin all the way around, make the play. It was really ugly. Fifth inning, I get, I get taken out of the game. <laughs> So I'm like, why would you even put me in the game if you feel like you're going to take me out in the fifth inning? So uh, it's a little stressful, and I know these guys don't want to fail. And if you haven't played the outfield much, you're going to look kind of ridiculous at times, and you're going to look great at times. But uh, it's a little bit stressful experience when you're used to playing the infield. Yeah, and I'm not going to totally backpedal over everything we just talked about, no pun intended, but – (laughs) <laughs> it's not that I don't think either of these guys can play the outfield. It's just optimally speaking, is this exactly where you want them? And in this age where we sit here and talk about the defensive you know, value of this player or that player or the strategies that you have for placement of players, you know, you've still got to go out there and make the plays. But is that worth more than what they're going to be able to do for you at the plate? And on those days that they do go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, it might be that error that they made in the outfield or that misplayed ball that didn't go as an error that could be the difference in the ball game as well. There's just really no way to know. And I'm not saying that, well, only manage for the negative outcome, you know, in terms of what you expect to happen. I mean, in the same way that you can't manage for, you know, the expectation that everything's going to go right. But again, putting players in position to succeed, I'm a big proponent of that. And I'm just not sure that that's exactly how I'd want to use Camargo. Jury's kind of out on Riley. It's an interesting dynamic or an idea, but also... Obviously, we could have a whole other discussion about what the long-term future of third base is for the Atlanta Braves because that question has not been answered either, though, just worth noting, uh, Josh Donaldson has been playing on a pretty regular basis and seems to be feeling pretty good, and hopefully that's something that is going to uh, continue as a trend throughout the entire 2019 season because the Braves really could use that. So that'll wrap up our talk on the Atlanta Braves. And, Nick, now we get to talk about something that we kind of touched on last week, the possibilities of changes down the line for Major League Baseball when it came to rules. We touched on not all of this stuff, but some different things that they were going to try out in the independent Atlantic League. But as of March the 14th, Major League Baseball and the Players Association announced some on-field changes, a series of things that will go into effect over the next two seasons. And they'll be discussing a renegotiating of the extension of their uh, collective bargaining agreement as well, which is good because they don't want to let that thing Uh, turn into a bigger mess, but that's another story for another time. Changes in effect for 2019. The inning breaks are going to be shortened up to two minutes, which I think is good. Uh, Mound visits are going to be taken down again now from six to five, and that's the maximum of those you can have during a game. Interesting for me is the trade deadline. 
It is going to remain July 31st. The waiver trade period, though, that ran to the end of August will no longer be in place. That's been eliminated. So you can place a player on outright waivers, and they can be claimed after July 31st. They cannot be traded after that date. Those are kind of the big ones. There's some stuff that went on with the uh, All-Star game as well, which we could touch on briefly. I don't think that really affects too many people in too many you know, deep and meaningful ways. But what do you make of these changes, and do you think that these things are uh, going to be helpful when it comes to, I guess, the overall uh, roster construction, if you will, when it comes to teams that are trying to decide whether they're going to go all-in and contend to get to October when the trade deadline comes around in particular? The trade deadline is the one thing that, Bothers me a little bit. I, I don't really know why they made the just the the one July thirty first deadline. You don't know what your your team's gonna be at, at August first. You don't know. There's still two months of the season left, and and I feel like you're gonna have a lot less teams um, going in and trying to win it at that point. Uh, Steve Phillips on MLB Network Radio made a good point about Josh Donaldson last year. If July 31st comes and they don't have the waiver deadline. Nobody's going to trade for Josh Donaldson because they don't know if he's healthy or not. Well, he gets healthy enough in August that they end up trading him uh, before September 1st. So that, that type of thing is not obviously can't happen. And that's a big deal for some people. Uh, I think it's a big deal for the team, just not knowing where you're at. Are you going to get guys healthier? They're not going to be healthy. All of a sudden, a a pitcher is hurt July in July, and you think he's going to be back in August, but you don't know now. How do you do? You go get a pitcher. You what do you do? And I don't like I don't like that at all. Um, I don't know why they agreed to that. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'd love to know the reasoning behind it. Um, The the inning breaks. I'm I'm fine with inning breaks. Uh, They've dropped to two minutes. Um, on local and national games. The national games are a big deal for me because yeah. those games last forever. Uh, 225 was the the breaks, inning breaks for national game. Now it's down to two. I think that's a big deal, mm-hmm. um, especially when they have Sunday night baseball starting at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't handle it. I, can't, I don't want to watch three and a half hours of baseball because of the inning breaks. And I get it. You got to get paid and you got to pay the bills and all this stuff. But two minutes is fine. I'm happy with that. The one thing that that I'm well, I'm not. I mean, I'm excited for these guys, but I would love to sign up for the home run derby. A million dollar prize money yeah. goes to the winner. How many guys are going to want to get in the home run derby, and how do they even decide who's going to be in there? That's a good question, and those are questions that we're going to find out. I mean, these the bonus payment though, um, I think is going to be a new incentive for the All Star Game to, I guess, maybe kind of step up just a little bit in terms of the player involvement and the fact that. You know, you'll be able to market your stars a little differently, too, because they're changing the way the fan voting is going on, in addition to, I guess, all the stuff that they're going to do uh, with the Home Run Derby. And you've got all of these things in late June and early July, and Election Day, I guess, is what it's all going to lead up to, where you'll get all these finalists, and then you'll allow there to be, after this primary round of voting that gets to those finalists, the fans will be voting at a prescribed time to determine the All-Star Game starters. So they haven't released all of that. They're going to announce more of that in April. I thought that was interesting. Uh, top three vote-getters at each position in the National League. Uh, All-Star bonus payments are going to be received by those guys uh, as far as the primary round is concerned. That's Additionally, uh, prize money awarded <laughs> to players on winning uh, on the winning All-Star team increased uh, beginning with the 2019 All-Star Game. And the 10th inning, 
is going to have that wonderful and fun rule that you saw in minor league baseball, the runner on second to start the extra innings thing, uh, re-entry substitutions allowed for runners. So that should be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. So um, here's my here's my one question with this, and we saw it last year, and I I, I questioned it. If your if your winning team gets prize money, uh, more increased prize money, can is it okay for the guys that start the game to leave after they're done playing? I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. And I saw that last year. I saw a lot of guys leaving, and I'm like, that's that that's not really really right. And with increased prize money for the winning team if you don't stay the whole game you don't get the money yeah that's the way i view it but that, i don't know if they, i don't even know if that's a, even a topic of discussion but it, it bothered me last year when i saw a lot of guys leaving after they got done and they the other guys are coming in late in the game and they the starters aren't supporting them and all that stuff but now that, that even more money's involved in it i don't know i, I it just something that to, to take a look at and uh something that i'll be i'll be monitoring for sure but i i'm you know, I'm just super excited to see how aggressive these guys are in the home run derby. If there's a million dollars on the line, how aggressive are these guys going to be in wanting to be in that home run derby? And how is that going to affect them once they get out there? You know, a car is wanting a car and all that stuff is one thing, mm-hmm. but a million dollars, oh man. I would do anything to try to win a million dollars. Well, I haven't had the opportunity to win the car yet, so I'd start with that. But no, I mean, a million dollars for the home run (laughs) derby does make it, I think, just that much more intriguing. Um, The single trade deadline, of course, the all-star election day, that bonus for the home run derby, those were all things happening in 2019, Nick. The other things, though, a three-batter minimum for pitchers and roster expansion going to happen in 2020 as part of that deal between MLB and the Players Association. I think those things are fascinating as well. And there are going to be some changes to the way that you can manipulate, I guess, your rosters, sending guys down and bringing them back up if they're not being brought back for an uninjured or for an injured player, I should say. It's going to change the way that a lot of teams are doing things, including the way that the Braves were yo-yoing these uh, prospects, these starting pitching prospects, especially between Gwinnett and Atlanta last year. So that's going to be a lot of different changes. We don't have to get to all this stuff today. And obviously, Major League Baseball and the Players Association haven't gotten to all of the stuff yet. But there are changes coming, and I think that with those changes and with the positive progress of this announcement, hopefully that bodes well for figuring out the collective bargaining agreement, which is not set to expire until the end of 2021, but they're going to go ahead and start working on that now. I think all of that is good. Um, I'll circle back to the one thing, though. We talked about this before. Three batter minimum for pitchers. I think you said you'd rather just have two. That's kind of the way I looked at it as well. I don't think it's 100% necessary to put those kind of rules on it. I don't know that it necessarily fixes anything uh, per se because of the way that they've changed how uh, or the way the game has changed so much with how pitchers are used and how bullpens have become so important and starters aren't going as deep in the games anymore. Do you think this is a worthwhile change? Do you think this is something that is going to benefit the game or do you feel like maybe this is kind of overanalyzing to the point where you're correcting a problem that really isn't easily addressed or fixed? Well, I don't know the the exact uh, solution to all these problems, but yeah, I'm saying two batter minimum. I don't three. I don't three is just too much, and I feel like that that the three batter minimum was made by people who aren't really that involved on a daily basis of how everything operates during a game, and I think that's why the three three batter minimum was put in place. But just take for instance, a guy goes out there and. Just, okay, 
we'll use Vizcaino as an example. Mm-hmm. And how many times do you see Viz go out there and, and not be able to find a strike zone for the first two hitters? Yeah. So all of a sudden now he's got to face a third hitter in a, in a close game. He's closing the game. They, you load the bases. If he walks three guys, the bases are loaded, nobody out. You can't, you, and you want to be able to pull a guy out of the game after. I mean, I understand to a degree why it's being done. And I, I'm, I'm okay with a two batter minimum. I'm okay with that. But when you're adding that third batter and an instance comes up where a guy can't find the strike zone and he's healthy and it's a close game, that's going to be tough to manage. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, it's going to be for, for a manager, that's going to be hard to decide how to even go about this stuff because you're stuck. Once you put a guy in a game, you're stuck. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And um, I, I don't know really – I don't know how they came to, to the agreement on some of these rules, but uh, the one thing that I am excited about is the fact that they're going to negotiate, try to get this deal done before uh, the, the CBA runs out, which I think is important. I talked about this earlier in the year about – letting things fester and build up and they're just butting heads on everything and you can't negotiate until that like way down the road. Now they're going to let it all hang out and they've, they've agreed to some stuff, which is nice. And you have to have both sides working together. And I, I'm just excited that I feel like with this negotiation ongoing, that this CBA is going to be hammered out before uh, a strike or anything like that comes to, to fruition. Yeah, hopefully so, because everybody loses with a work stoppage. And while it might be a necessary tactic, if you're a union trying to get things done, it's not necessarily something that's going to engender a lot of goodwill or respect, I guess, in some uh, applications of that word from fans who are just trying to watch the sport they love or the team they love and all of a sudden have that taken away from them. It just ends up becoming a very contentious thing from a PR perspective, and I think baseball should learn a lot from the mid-90s. I think that that damaged the sport in some ways. I don't know that it necessarily hasn't come back to the level that it was before, but things have certainly been changing over the last 22, 23, 24 years since the work stoppage was a problem for baseball, the strike of 94-95. So we'll continue to monitor that. We'll discuss it as things come up, but obviously a a lot of uh, miles to travel, I think, left in those discussions. But our discussion for today is drawing to a close. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave us a rating and a review. We always appreciate them, so keep them coming. And be sure to follow us on social media at from the diamond underscore. You can find me at Grant McCauley and Nick at Nick Green 20 from the diamond.com is where you can find everything as well. Nick, we got less than two weeks until opening day. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that. I am really excited about it. Can't come quick enough. Well, ready to get back to work when it comes to the business of baseball for both of us. I'm looking forward to seeing you around a ballpark sooner than later. I think that'll be a lot of fun for not just for us, but the fact that we finally get to watch some live Major League Baseball again and have that back in our lives each and every day. So looking forward to that and looking forward to next week, talking some more baseball with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, for Nick Green, I am Grant McCauley. This is From the Diamond, and we will catch you next week. So long, everyone.